Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, what a show we have for you. Two games to review and three games to preview. We're reviewing our two games from week 20, the first against Lou City FC and the second against Sacramento Republic FC. Both games ended with a nil-all draw. We've got John Morrissey, he's at USL Tacticus on Twitter, bringing us his weekly segment with news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. And we've got three games to preview, our midweek game against Oakland Roots, Aaron Lawson from the Roots Pod, that's an Oakland Roots podcast, he's joining me for that. Here's a clip from that interview where he's talking about his club. It's not an experience you get as a fan very often, especially in America. You know, every just about every franchise here is is incredibly corporatized. And I'm sure there's aspects of the roots that are like that as well. But they do as much as they can to stay grounded in the local community. And it's uh, it's like I said, it's refreshing. It's really easy to root for, you know, like you can be proud of this team. And especially when we have, you know, other professional sports teams leaving the Bay Area. Right. Uh, the, the Raiders are in Vegas now. We have a never-ending saga with respect to the athletics. Are they going to be here any, anytime soon? The 49ers still call themselves San Francisco. They play like an hour and a half away from San Francisco at this point. So to have a club that is so proud of being from Oakland is really, really nice. I had a lot of fun talking with Aaron, so stick around for that. Not only will we get to know Oakland Roots, but also we're going to preview that game. After that, we've got a preview of a home game against Colorado Switchbacks FC. And finally, a game that Rising are not involved in the semi-final of the Lamar Hunt Open Cup, where we're hoping that Sacramento Republic FC from the USL Championship will take down MLS squad Sporting Kansas City. To hear more about Sacramento Republic FC's hope and dreams check out episode 65 of this podcast where we interviewed connor sutton who's one of the support crew up there in sacramento there were two things of note during the week first the club announced that manuel madrid was no longer on the rising roster by mutual agreement and second it was reported by jake anderson of arizona sports 98.7 fm that there are no plans to make changes to the coaching staff during his interview with Phoenix Rising's newly appointed governor, William Krause, Krause said, Rick Shantz is our head coach. We're sticking with him. He went on to declare, we've not given up on the season or on Rick, and we hope to get back to our winning ways. Despite this, we saw a TIFO from the supporters in the South End that read, Rick, thanks for the memories, but it's time to say goodbye. Lots of drama, as always. Let's get the show kicked off with a look back at our two games from week 20 of the USL. This is Greg Hurst, Phoenix Rising striker, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family on Wednesday, July 20th, Phoenix Rising traveled to Kentucky to take on Louisville City FC, and on Saturday, July 23rd, Phoenix Rising hosted Sacramento Republic FC. Both games ended in a nil-all draw. 
Let's take a look at both of those games, starting with the Louisville game. The highlight here was that Phoenix did extremely well to battle it out in hostile territory and hold the top team in the East to a draw, ending their five-game win streak. The first attempt on goal came from Joshua Winder from Louisville City. It was in the eighth minute, it was off target, and it was swiftly followed by shots from Phoenix's Lamin John A and Iroccozzi Donaciano. Over the next 10 minutes, Brian Ownby and Paolo Del Piccolo from Lou City would try their luck but were denied by our goalie Ben Lund. The rest of the half was end-to-end -end action. In the 20th minute, Irokozi Danasiano was added again. He was back with a header from across by Aidan Quinn, but unfortunately it went wide. And six minutes later, in the 26th minute, Louisville City's Brian Ownby had one of the best chances for his team on the night. He received the ball in the half space on the left side just inside the Phoenix half. He moved forward with pace, looked dangerous but wasn't going to beat Phoenix's James Musa who kept him wide. Ownby got a shot off but Ben Lunt was there with a steely focus to block the ball. Three minutes later, Cozy Danasiano got the ball to Aidan Quinn, who sent it to the right corner of the 18 to Greg Hurst. Greg laced it toward the bottom corner of the goal, but Lou keeper Kyle Morton, he was ready also deploying a steely focus and he blocked Greg's shot. In the 30th minute, Kevon Lambert had a shot from distance, but missed and on the Louisville side, Paolo Del Piccolo tried a long distance shot, but it was blocked. In the 38th minute, Richmond Antwi from Phoenix Rising, he had a left-footed shot from the left side of the box, but it was saved. Not long before the boys got their well-deserved halftime break, Greg Hurst sent a diagonal ball from midfield to the left corner of the 18, where Richie Antwi again trapped it, treated us all to a Richie rocket. In other words, he blasted toward goal, but the Louisville goalie was having an amazing game and managed to stop the advance. That brought us up to half time. We saw Lou with 62% possession, Phoenix then 38% possession. However, Louisville had five shots to Phoenix's six. We were doing well, especially when it comes to, to defense. We saw that of tackles, we, had, we won 13 compared to their eight. We had nine interceptions compared to their three, and we had 15 clearances compared to their six. With the second half brought some changes, our entire front line was replaced. Epps was in for Antwi, Repetto was in for Hurst, and Santimora was in for Lamangione. Now, I saw on, on social media that people were saying, Richie Antwi is doing so well, why are you taking him out? Greg Hurst is doing great, having a fantastic game, why are you taking him out? The problem is that neither Antwi, Hurst, or Jone were finding the back of the net. So, kudos to the coach for making some changes there, giving some rotation up front to see if Epps Repetto and more could do better. In the 48th minute, we did see Santi Moore team up with Claudio Repetto. Repetto had a shot on goal, but unfortunately he missed. From the 50th to the 75th minute, there was a sustained attack from Louisville. A header from Sharpie, shots from Ownby, Gonzalez and Harris. And during this time, Luis Sejas came on for Aiden Quinn. And the Louisville side, and on the Louisville side, we were all happy to see Brian Ownby subbed off. Santi Moore had a long-range shot in the 84th minute, and this was quickly followed up with an assault from Lou City. They had four attempts on goal in six minutes. That brought us to the 90th minute, but not to the end of the game because the ref added on 
10 minutes of stoppage time. Um, we couldn't but feel for the guys who were playing out there in 104 degree heat and what seemed like 200% humidity. In stoppage time, Lucidi had one attempt on goal, but Rising was treated to three convincing shots from Marcus Epps, all on target. How he didn't score is just a mystery for our generation. After 13 minutes of stoppage time, the final score is nil all, the ref blows the whistle and that's it. In that second half, Louisville did dominate. They had 66% possession. They had 10 shots to our 5. But we've been critical of our backline many times in the past, but not this time. Our defence was strong. Our boys, they played well, so kudos to them. That was the midweek game of, against Louisville City. Our weekend game was on Saturday, July 23rd. That was against Sacramento Republic. I need some time to come up for air, so while I do that, I'm going to ask Kelly McCarthy, who's here beside me, to set the scene for this game. Kelly. Thanks, Niall. At this point in the season, week 20. Everyone is clamoring to secure their place in the playoffs, especially teams like Sacramento, who are right above the playoff line and are basically in a scrum with teams six through nine. For context, Los Dos are sixth in the Western Conference table with 30 points, followed by Sacramento with 29 points, Las Vegas has 28, and Oakland in ninth place also have 28 points. These sides are all desperate to find their form, break away from the pack, and move up the table. Now, speaking of form, Sacramento are 8, 5, and 5 on the season, with four of those losses on the road. Now, drilling down to their last three matches, Sacramento are 0, 2, and 1. They were hammered by Colorado Springs, barely drew with the roots, and then fell to Birmingham at home just last weekend. They're desperate to get their form back, they want to move up the standings, and they want a win at Wild Horse Pass, something that has eluded them, something they've yet to do. But they also have the Open Cup to prepare for next week, and this is their clear and obvious priority. Sacramento are gearing up to play in the semifinals against Sporting Kansas City on Wednesday, July 27th, and this is where their time, effort, and best players will be focused. Although Phoenix doesn't know the Sacramento lineup in advance, they're certainly praying the Republic fields a B team, and that's a very good possibility for this match. Speaking of the Open Cup, the last time these two teams played was in the fourth round of the Open Cup all the way back on May 11th, and that was the first of many subsequent losses for Phoenix Rising. Now, in prior seasons, looking back over the last five USL matchups against these sides, Phoenix has the historic advantage with three wins, no losses, and two draws. Phoenix would love for history to repeat itself and is looking for this match to turn their 2022 campaign around and to start picking up points. Does that sound familiar? We've been waiting for a big W for a while now, and the closest we've come is a couple of recent ties, one against Orange County at home and the other against Louisville away just three days ago on Wednesday night. Phoenix Rising played well, and there are flashes of great play, and shall we say vintage rising, but with one fatal flaw. The back of the net eludes Phoenix. Turning this season around hinges on goal scoring, and no one has been able to do it. Rick Schantz is certainly giving everyone the chance, but no one is getting the job done. Phoenix needs goals, wins, points, and momentum all out of this match. Back to you, Niall. 
Awesome, Kelly. I want to add that on the Phoenix side, we were desperate for a win. Our lineup didn't change from the Louisville game, and Sacramento, they came out with their B team, allowing their regular starters a rest before their big Open Cup semi final game. It was a scrappy start to the game. We saw 10 fouls before we saw the first attempt. That came from Sacramento, by the way. It was uh, in the 15th minute, a header following a corner. In the 17th minute, that's just two minutes later, Phoenix got the ball inside the Sacramento box. Richie Antwi puts it on for Greg Hurst, who puts it on for Babakar Jai who blasts it with his left foot, but he missed to the right. Then in the 21st, 22nd and 23rd minutes, we saw more attempts from Phoenix. First, a header from Hurst that was blocked, and second, a shot from Darnell King that went wide. The third started with Aiden Quinn, 30 yards out on the left-hand side. He crossed it to King, who brought it to the end line before sending it to the far side of the small box to Greg Hurst, who, with the first touch, brings it down and centers it for, for Antwi. Not a perfect ball, but Antwi hustled and got a shot off. He was just yards out. It could have been a goal, but unfortunately he sent it straight to the goalie, Carlos Soldania. Carlos Soldania blocked the ball. It bounced up. Antwi was, Antwi was there again. He hustled. He got the header, this time aiming low, but too close to the keeper, who this time grabbed the ball and held onto it. Ben Loon had a good save in the 32nd minute and then we saw Hurst, John A and Quinn each take shots on goal. In the 39th minute, Iracozzi Donaciano is centrally located in the Sacramento half. He passes the ball forward and left to Aidan Quinn who turned and aimed for the top right corner. His shot was accurate, beating two defenders but not beating the goalie. Before heading into the tunnel, we saw two more shots, one from Aiden Quinn and another one from Babakar Jai. So into the tunnel, we've got 61% possession, 11 shots to Sacramento's two. We've got 88% passing accuracy and social media was lighting up with comments about how this was vintage rising. This was the game that we expect from Phoenix Rising. Into the second half, we saw some substitutions, not the same as in the last game. We just saw one change up front. Santi Moore came on for Lamin John A. There were two other replacements on the Sacramento side. Connor Donovan was taken off. Douglas Martinez was taken off. It's likely that they're going to be in the starting 11 for that Open Cup game. Just one minute into the second half, Phoenix were attacking on the left side. Greg Hurst had the ball. He was fouled, but it wasn't called. Sacramento Republic's Ferdy Sousa got the ball and he sent a long breakaway ball to his teammate, Luther Archimede, who raced forward to get one-on-one -on -one with Ben Lunt. Lunt came out, blocked the shot and blocked the rebound. Superb stuff from Ben Lunt. Over the next 10 minutes, Phoenix's James Musa had a header that should have went in. There was a shot that was off target from Sacramento Republic and we saw two shots from Rising. One from Babakar Jai and another from Richie Antwi. In the 59th minute, we saw Babakur Jai again passing to Aidan Quinn, who passed it on to Kev Lambert, who took a shot. He was 25 yards out, it went to the bottom left corner, but again, it was saved by Saldana. In the 64th minute, we saw substitution. Luis Sejas came on for Aidan Quinn, similar to what happened in the Louisville game. Then we saw Marcus Epps replace Greg Hurst. We saw a shot from Jai, a header from Santi Moore, both assisted by Sejas. 
This brings us up to the 69th minute. Phoenix, they have a corner on the left side. It goes to the near post to Epps, who heads the ball to the back post to the foot of Kev Lambert. No hesitation, although he had time to. It was a first touch from Lambert. Low, hard, but the ball goes out left of goal. Lambert can't believe it, and honestly, neither can we. Following this, Santa Mora has a shot, Joey Farrell has a header, and then we see Sack on the counter-attack. It's the 75th minute, and it sees a Sack player unmarked with the ball at the edge of the Phoenix area in front of goal. A powerful shot. It beats Ben Lunt, and it hits the right post. There's a threat in the rebound, but thankfully we deal with it. The ball gets up to the other end, we see combination play between Richie Antwi and Marcus Epps. Epps took the shot from outside the box. He gets, he's just unlucky. Ten minutes to go. Everyone's asking themselves, what do we have to do to get the ball into the goal? The best opportunity came in the 88th minute. Marcus Epps, he's yards from goal on the left side. He cut it back, found Luis Sejas, who was outside the box in a central position. Laces through the ball, but again, it's saved by Saldana. There were attempts from both sides, a header from Joey Farrell, shot from Sac Republic's Emil Coelho, and another shot from Luis Sejas. Then the final whistle and the final score for the second consecutive time for Phoenix is nil all. It was a dominant performance from our boys. 61% possession, 27 shots on goal to Sacramento Republic's 8. We won the game on paper, but sadly we don't pick up points from winning on paper. We only pick up 3 points when we win the games on the pitch, and that didn't happen. Phoenix Rising will play Sacramento again on September the 28th, and at that point we'll only have 3 games left in this season. Looking forward into week 21, Phoenix Rising have another two games this week. We first play Oakland Roots on Wednesday and we're back home to take on Colorado Switchbacks on Saturday. Stick around for previews of both of those games, which includes an interview with Aaron Lawson from the Roots pod. Enjoy. This is Niall Dunn, defender of the Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. Thanks for sticking around and welcome to another installment of our Open Cup coverage for the 2022 tournament. In previous segments, we talked about various aspects of the tournament's history, including the timing of the tournament, memorable delays and interruptions to the schedule, historic and incredible team runs, and my favorite, a deep dive into the competition's namesake, Lamar Hunt. With the end of the tournament in sight, and with one of our own USL Championship teams still in the race, it's time to turn our attention to current events. This Wednesday, July 27th, four teams will battle for a place in the final, and most Phoenix Rising fans are aware that Sacramento Republic are one of the four remaining teams. Although Sacramento is our rival in USL League play, you have to admire their cup run, and for many of us, it makes this year's Open Cup that much more intriguing. So let's take a look at some of the storylines as we head into the semifinals. Let's start in the East, where the New York Red Bulls will travel to Orlando City to take on the Lions at Exploria Stadium in Orlando. Orlando City Soccer Club, who are sitting in fifth place in the Eastern Conference of the MLS, defeated Nashville in the quarterfinals to advance through. Nashville was the better team on the night and led by a goal for most of the second half. Orlando City's Rodrigo, Orlando City's Rodrigo Schlegel scored off a set piece four minutes into stoppage time, which sent the game into extra time and, ultimately, penalties. Orlando took it from there. 
On the other side of this semifinal match, you have the New York Red Bulls, who took down NYCFC, the reigning MLS champions, in the Hudson River Derby to earn their place in the semis. This was the third time these two teams have clashed in open cup play, and expectations were high for an all-out barn burner. No one was disappointed. Moving into this match, the competition was fierce, with NYCFC sitting in first place in the Eastern Conference standings, with the New York Red Bulls trailing by one point and nipping fiercely at their heels from second place. The first goal came in the 52nd minute, and the first red card came in the 61st. The Red Bulls got the goal and NYCFC got the red card, which meant playing the last 30 minutes down a man. The imbalance was too much for them, and the Red Bulls finished out the match for a 3-0 victory. The drama didn't end there, however, as two more red cards were shown after the match, including one to Tom Edwards from the Red Bulls, who will have to sit out the semifinal game as a result. Neither of these teams, neither the New York Red Bulls nor Orlando City SC, has ever hoisted the cup. Both are ready for this opportunity. Let's move to the other semifinal match, the match most Phoenix Rising fans will have their eyes on, Sporting Kansas City versus Sacramento Republic, which will take place in California at the Republic's Heart Health Park. MLS side Sporting Kansas City got a lucky draw in the quarterfinal round and found themselves facing off against Union Omaha, the USL League One team that made it the farthest in this year's open competition. Now, rising fans will remember that several high-quality USL championship players have been recruited from past Union Omaha squads, including our very own striker, Greg Hurst. Although Union Omaha played their hearts out and represented the USL proudly, the different level of competition between the leagues was apparent, and Sporting Kansas City took the Owls down hard, opening the scoring in the 10th minute and finishing with six goals to none on the evening. Speaking of six goals, the last time the competition saw six goals in the quarterfinals was another imbalanced matchup in 2019. In that year, a USL championship squad made it to the quarterfinals, and I'll give you a minute here to think back on which squad that was. Did you remember which club? I'll give you a hint. The team chartered a plane to take their fans to the match. That's right, New Mexico United, who ended up losing big to Minnesota United with a scoreline of 6-1. to one. Ouch. But I digress. This is the sixth time Sporting Kansas City has advanced to the semifinals, as the club has a long history of success with this tournament. SKC hoisted the cup four times and as recently as 2017. They went all the way in 2015, 2012, and back in 2004 when they were known as the Kansas City Wizards. You can imagine SKC were thrilled they drew a USL League One side for the corner finals, and they're certainly thinking Lady Luck is on their side again to find another USL side as their opponent in the semis. But they'd be foolish to celebrate too early. Sacramento brought down a few giants en route to this big moment, including Phoenix Rising and not one but two MLS squads, the San Jose Earthquakes and more recently, LA Galaxy in the quarterfinals. It's been a long run and in many ways a historic one. Their upcoming match marks just the 14th time that a lower division team has reached the semifinal and they're just the ninth unique, unique club to achieve that milestone. 
In beating LA, Sacramento has officially upset four MLS teams in their club's short history. And they're only the second club, the first of a lower division, in the last 21 years to win an Open Cup match on LA Galaxy's home turf. Many Phoenix Rising fans watched the Sacramento quarterfinal match against LA, so I won't get into all the details. The short version is that Roro Lopez scored a goal in the fourth minute that quickly put LA on their back foot. With this goal, Rodrigo Lopez increased his tally to seven goals and seven assists in his Open Cup career. An own goal by Sack in the 18th minute tied the match. Luis Felipe Rodriguez scored the game winner for the Republic in the 70th minute. The game was amazing, the fans were overjoyed, and Sacramento is one step closer to winning it all. I'm the first to admit it's hard to cheer on a rival, but Sacramento is making it a little easier. They're playing with style and grace, they're playing as a cohesive unit, and they're making the league look good in the process. Teams like Union Omaha and Sacramento Republic showcase the talent of the lower leagues and shine a spotlight on all our teams. I can't help but notice they're making the Open Cup a lot more interesting for many of us, and maybe it's just me, but they sure seem to be having fun doing it. Thanks for joining me. Please visit thecup.us for more great coverage and history on this incredible tournament. And of course, remember to tune in on July 27th at 4.30 and again at 7.30 to catch those semifinal matches. Hi everyone, this is Brandon Keniston, goalkeeper with Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Next up is John Morrissey with his weekly segment on news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. John, it's great to have you back. How did things go in the USL Championship this week? Happy as ever to be back recapping the last week of news, Niall. Uh, it began last Monday with a really bizarre match, Colorado Springs against San Diego Loyal. And a few hours before the game, the Switchbacks put out a statement from the team uh, describing their players as warriors, saying that they weren't going to be able to field a competitive side because the USL uh, wasn't letting them reschedule amidst COVID issues. This was a game that was already rescheduled, mind you. Colorado Springs ends up starting a teenager, having just one available substitute. Uh, they get two red cards in the game and fall to San Diego three to nothing, and that might have been a friendly storyline. Uh, midweek, of course, the real highlight was that showcase game between Phoenix and Louisville. But uh, moving on from that, Colorado Springs was in action again on Friday. They had a real slate of these uh, Monday-Friday games, which is not optimal for any team, certainly, especially when uh, you're having to go on the road in some of these matchups. But that doesn't excuse the fact that they did draw 3-3 three to three with Charleston there. Charleston has struggled a bit. Um, but in the first of a lot of moves to recap, they did just bring back Robbie Crawford, who had been with the club for a few years prior to this season before leaving for expansion Monterey. Uh, he got on as a substitute, but Augustin Williams really was the star there. Haji Berry with a brace on the other side, and an exciting one, certainly. Uh, starting the Saturday slate, though, Indy 11 were in action against Memphis. And Phoenix fans will love to hear that Solomon Asante finally got his first goal in an 11 kit. That came in the ninth minute, courtesy of Juan Tejada, a player that Indy traded for midweek. Uh, he's a dynamic, really effortful, physical forward, maybe not the best scorer, but always gives you 100%. 
Uh, he came in from Tampa Bay and was dealt for Nikki Law, a Scottish midfielder, really good creator, sits deep, pulls the strings, and he too debuted for uh, the Rowdies. They got a 3-1 to win against Atlanta. Another week, another kind of halting performance, I would call it, for the Rowdies. Uh, they were slow to get on the board. In fact, they went down one nothing against Atlanta, but pulled it together in the second half, uh, continued to really coast in the Eastern Conference. That's becoming a duopoly between them and Louisville. On the other side of that matchup, though, Atlanta sold Robbie Mertz. Mertz was a longtime member of the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, a really high potential midfielder. And when he surprisingly left for Atlanta United too, people expected that there was an anticipation of an MLS shot that maybe the senior Atlanta United side would give him a look in. That didn't happen, and Pittsburgh bought him back this week. And Pittsburgh got a 2-1 to win going on the road to Hartford Athletic. Hartford came out in this 4-4-2 formation that didn't really suit them. Pittsburgh ran rampant. Uh, they went down one nothing on a wonder goal from Connor McGlynn, a real strike but uh, ended up putting on Mertz, making the difference. Uh, he got the opening. I don't know if it was an assist because it was a cross into a real scramble in front of goal, but he was bright as a sub, and then they got the winner in extra time for that, again, two-to-one margin. Loudon and Miami played, and the game was greatly delayed by uh, weather issues in Virginia. Miami got a two-to-one win. They've got a plus-one goal difference and a six-point edge for the final playoff spot in the East. And they never convince you that they're going to hold on, but they just continue to get those good results. Uh, Loudon changed their shape up a little bit. We're missing some of their stars, such as life when you're an MLS 2 team, I suppose. Uh, we had an interconference game between Detroit and New Mexico. New Mexico visiting Detroit uh, in this instance. Detroit really controlled the game, which is surprising given, I think, the general consensus around New Mexico and some of Detroit's depth issues. A really nice Chris Wien free kick and then another, I think, on the fringe of extra time, tying goal for New Mexico there. Both sides comfortably still in the playoffs. Uh, speaking of a team that's not in that state but hoping to get there, FC Tulsa beat Birmingham 2 to nothing in Alabama. Tulsa is the side... That is just two games back of seventh in the Eastern Conference, really having a second shot at life uh, since they moved on from Michael Ncn and brought in Donovan Ricketts as their coach. Birmingham looked a little bit weak in terms of their attack. Uh, their defense was as strong as always, but gave up a sloppy goal and they couldn't quite crawl back in, especially after a red card. Then we get to El Paso, San Antonio. San Antonio won the game 1-0, uh, doing their very San Antonio low-possession, counter-attacking sort of thing. El Paso, however, was in turmoil this week. Sebastian Velasquez, the star midfielder with MLS experience, a title won with Real Monarchs, left for a second-division club in Israel that he had previously been with. And then Richie Ryan, one of the long-term talisman of the El Paso locomotive, was essentially frozen out of training. The club uh, really lowballed him in contract negotiations, and he decided that was disrespect. Things soured from there, and this team continues to just shed players left and right. Really shocking stuff, but they're in the playoffs as it stands. Uh, elsewhere in the West, San Diego beat Rio Grande 2-1. to one. Funnily enough, I was traveling this week and ran into the RGV team 
at the Dallas Fort Worth airport, said hello to Wilmer Cabrera, got a nice little fist bump from Akeem Ward. Uh, Rio Grande really sat back passively on this one, and San Diego continues to absolutely roll. Um, moving on, Oakland lost two to nothing to the Las Vegas Lights. Who else but Danny Trejo opened the scoring? Oakland is just still the team that can't quite pull it together results-wise, even when they um, have some decent performances, and Phoenix has them in the midweek. Uh, Monterey beat New York Red Bulls 2, 2 to nothing, in a game that was uh, pretty much a bore when you think about the stakes, think about the results. Monterey went down a man, and New York could generate no offense whatsoever. Uh, Monterey, interestingly, uh, deployed newish signing Hunter Gorski as a defensive midfielder after using him in a back three. He looks like a good pickup for a team that, on the sly, can be good defensively. Then rounding things out, Orange County smacked LA Galaxy 2 by a 5-2 margin. Uh, LA notably scored three minutes into this one, but Milan Oloski was simply brilliant. Two goals and two assists. Um, LA was missing uh, Liam Doyle in defense. He's really kind of the leading center back in the squad, so that was a big deal. But this was the best performance we've seen from Orange County since their title run, probably. Uh, one more thing to note, of course, just as we look at the week ahead, would be this Sacramento Open Cup game. Uh, they're facing off against Sporting Kansas City in the semifinal. I know that the fan experience did a really great bit on the Open a few weeks back, so lots to look forward to. If you're a USL or MLS or really a fan of American soccer, this is exciting to have a USL team this far on. So keep an eye on that. And as always, happy to have been here. How's it going, guys? This is Daniel Orona from Arizona Deportiva. You are listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we've got a very special guest. It's Aaron Lawson, who covers Oakland Roots for his aptly named podcast, Roots Pod. Aaron, welcome to The Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising FC supporters podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, Aaron Phoenix is scheduled to travel to Northern California to play Oakland Roots on Wednesday, July 27th. And I'd like to, to chat a little bit about your club and maybe give our listeners a preview of what we can expect when the teams meet. Sounds good? That sounds great. Let's get awesome. Into it. So let's get into it. I've got a few quick fire questions. So, what's your most memorable game this season with Oakland Roots? Ooh. Uh, you know, there are a lot to choose from because this club has a habit of of incredible comebacks. So I think for me, oh man, this this is a tough one. Uh, it is it, I think it's probably the win at home over Orange County, which featured two very late goals. At, you know, I th it was a game many of us had approached thinking, you know, Orange County is off the boil a little bit this year. This is a a team ripe for the picking and we're going into the late stages down two one, but they got two goals at the very end of the game. And that was incredibly exciting. So I think that's got to top the list of memories this season so far. Awesome. And for Phoenix, it would, it would probably come early in the season. We played New Mexico three times. So the first two um, were in Phoenix and we beat them both times, and it's always a good day when you're beating New Mexico because they don't give it up easily. They come out strong. So either of those two games would be one of the highlights for me. Um, which USL team has surprised you the most this season? 
think it's San Diego. Uh, you know, we knew that they were good last year. They were very good last year, but they have come out and looked like possibly the second best team in the West this season. And I, I don't know that I expected that. I, I don't recall seeing anything in the off season about their, their transactions, uh, any, any moves they had made that made me think that this was a club that was going to take the next step like they have. And they look really well positioned for the playoffs at this point. And, and I think that's a surprise to me. That's, that's a great answer. Um, just something that I heard behind the scenes is that their striker, Kyle Vassell, he comes from England, mm-hmm. that he was actually with them last year, but the documents didn't get approved on time, so he wasn't able to play. But he's been a huge asset for them and just been, been you know, really doing good things for them. Um, if not Oakland Roots, who's going to win the USL Cup this year? <laughs> Uh, I would put money on San Antonio. I think if okay. I were a betting man, I'd go San Antonio. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be my, my, my picks right now for the final would be San Antonio and Louisville. And I'm just going to rep the West here. Great. Great. Um, are you guys going to make the playoffs? Yes. Roots? Okay. Yes. Okay. Who's your number one rival? Uh, so that's, uh, that's an interesting question. It's Sacramento. Probably. I think it's gotta be Sacramento proximity. Uh, you know, we had a bit of a kerfluffle last year with respect to the fit, the pitch at Laney college, uh, that we play on all of the games have been close run things. You know, I, I think we've now played Sacramento six times in the USL and their five draws. And the, wow. the one win was really the, the match that that got us into the playoffs last year. I mean, it, not as a mathematical matter, it wasn't the clincher, but it was very critical for the run in. Uh, but I expect that there will be something of a rivalry with Detroit city because there's a little bit of a history there when both teams were in NISA. So okay. I, I think uh, it's those two. Great. Great. Sounds great. So just before we continue to, to talk about the teams and the season and whatnot, when you're not watching, playing, or talking football, what are you likely to be doing? Boy, that doesn't leave a whole lot of time in the, in the <laughs> week. Uh, hiking, honestly. I, I get outside with, uh, with my dog pretty often. Uh, that takes up a lot of time. Uh, playing a little softball. You know, I like to play. I like other sports, too. Okay. Well, I can, I can definitely vibe with that first answer. I, I hike every day, even in Phoenix, even when it's 111, 116 degrees, I, I'll find a, a shady place and, um, and get some wet towels around my neck to keep me cool and, and head off. Uh, yeah. It sounds Great like hiking you're a more Phoenix. hardcore hiker than I am. I'm much, I prefer the, the easy walks that happen to be in the woods myself. Okay, well, yeah, you have to be hardcore about it in Phoenix when it comes <laughs> up there for sure. Okay, so how are you finding the season so far? How are you liking? Let's start with the Eastern Conference. Uh, have you been watching any of those games? Uh, um, do, do any any of those teams surprise you who are kind of up in the playoff bracket right now? You know, I have been watching. I've been I've been paying a little bit of attention. Haven't been watching too much. I am not surprised that Louisville City and Tampa Bay are at the top of the Eastern Conference table right now. Uh, you know, the thing about the East, and I'm sure that, that you've you've talked about this on your pod at some point, right? There's a bunch of not very good teams at the bottom of the East. You know, there's 14 teams in that conference and like eight good ones. So I would I, it'd be nice to have that kind of, of setup in the West, honestly, where it feels like every team 
is a quality opponent. Um, but it's both top, it is top heavy, but I don't think, I, I don't want to say that in a way that makes it sound like I'm taking anything away from, from Louisville city and Tampa and, and Memphis 901 too. Like they're, those are quality teams having very good seasons. And I expect uh, that one of those three, I, I, I told you, I predict that Louisville will make it to, to the, um, the championship out of the, out of the East, but those three teams are all very good. And I think the, the playoff soccer that they produce will be fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. Have you guys played any of those top teams yet this season? We have actually, we, we don't have Loose City on the schedule, but we played both Memphis and Tampa very early on. We went to Memphis and lost in uh, the second week of the season. And Tampa came to Oakland pretty early on as well. And that was a very entertaining nil-nil draw. Okay, well, Phoenix has played all top three teams, Louisville, Tampa, and Memphis. And we don't want to talk about those games. <laughs> <laughs> so what about, about the Western Conference? Same question. Um, how, what are you seeing there? What are you liking? What's surprising? What a, what a collection of teams. You know, I mean, it, is, it is brutal out there. Uh, San Antonio, I think, is maybe the best in the USL. San Diego looks like they're right there with them. They don't have quite the defense, but they're a very solid team. Uh, it, it just it's one of those conferences where anyone can beat anyone else on a given evening. And I mean, even all the way down at the bottom with Monterey Bay, you know, they are an expansion side. You don't expect them to have the quality of some of these other teams, but they're, they're holding their own. Obviously, they're not going to make the playoffs unless something changes dramatically, but it's still not, you know, a game. You can't just waltz into, into Monterey and expect to come out of there with three points. Right. So right. it's, I mean, it, it is both a very entertaining and very stressful. And, and I'm curious, I think that, you know, the, the last third of the season could be really pivotal because all these teams are bunched up. And if a team makes a move in either direction, it's going to make a, a huge difference. You know, like right now, El Paso locomotive appears to be in a, in a, a bit of trouble. You know, they, they had, uh, they, they came to Oakland uh, last weekend, they lost four nil. We learned in the immediate aftermath that two of their players had asked for to be transferred and are now not participating in team activities. And, and then they, I think they followed that up with a pretty lifeless performance against San Antonio. Uh, to no loss. Yeah. Yeah. So they looked like they were in a good position, but if, if they put together a string of, of not very good results, all of a sudden they're not going to be in the playoffs. Colorado Springs has been in a dominant position all year long, but they appear to be stumbling right now. And I don't think that with as much of the season as there's a, is left to play, excuse me, a bad stretch from them is also, you know, it puts them in a, in a troubling position at the end of the day. So, I, I mean, it, it is, it is like exciting stuff every single weekend. There are three or four matches on the scoreboard you want to keep your eye on while you're watching your own team play. Absolutely. And there are a lot of teams that are crowded around that playoff line. The top seven teams are going to make it in. And, you know, usually with Phoenix, we're, we're looking at the race to the top. But I think a lot of people are going to be looking at the race for that those playoff spots because there are just so many contenders. So it's going to be interesting as it, as it draws closer. So I'd love to hear a little bit about Oakland roots, a bit of the history of the club. Yeah. So it's, it's actually, it's a very refreshing club to, to support. 
you know, it was founded by a, a couple of guys from Oakland and it's meant to really reflect the city as much as it can. So in addition, and this, you know, this is why it's called the Oakland roots. So in addition to the, the soccer club, the soccer portion of, of the club, you have, you know, partnerships with local nonprofits and, and with, with artists, uh, you have attempts to, to get involved in the community and, uh, and, and be as much a force for social justice as an athletic endeavor really can be. And it is, it, it's, it's inspiring. And, you know, it's not an experience you get as a fan very often, especially in America. You know, every, just about every franchise here is, is incredibly corporatized. And I'm sure there's aspects of the roots that are like that as well, but they do as much as they can to stay grounded in the local community. And it's, uh, it's yeah, like I said, it's refreshing. It's really easy to root for, you know, like you can be proud of this team. And especially when we have, you know, other professional sports teams leaving the Bay Area, right? Uh, the, the Raiders are in Vegas now. We have a never-ending saga with respect to the athletics. Are they going to be here any, anytime soon? The 49ers still call themselves San Francisco. They play like an hour and a half away from San Francisco at this point. So to have a club that is so proud of being from Oakland is really, really nice. So awesome. So I'd love to hear about, about where you play, uh, your venue, I know that you've got a lot of supporters groups. I think I counted that you've got five supporters groups, um, but I really don't know anything about them, but I do know about your venue. So you play at Laney College and does everybody give you stick about that pitch? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, the... The pitch we have now, I think, is actually very nice. It, okay. It is, I mean, it's not grass, it's turf because they have to put it over the football field at, at Laney College, which is a downtown community college in Oakland. But and as as far as turf is concerned, I think it's about as as nice as can be. Um, gotcha. We're, we are still a little bitter about the, the field controversy last year. You know, we did, I think my friends and I, we didn't have much experience. We've we had watched the team play on this pitch when it was in Nisa. There had been no issues. Uh, our immediate reaction was, hey, look, if there are players out there who are worried about this, like, you know, th these guys are not exactly in a position to have a career ending injury. You know, they're not, it's not like a Tom Brady who's got insurance on his, on his throwing arm or something, right? <laughs> uh, but then we watch the season unfold and you watch all these teams that are playing at, you know, baseball stadiums and you're like, well, hold the phone. <laughs> there is no way that pitch is worse than some of the other pitches we have to play on in this league. Uh, but the current pitch is very nice uh, as much as it looks a little bit like a video game. I mean, it, it is, you know, <laughs> they've, they've tried to mimic the, the different shades of green you would ordinarily get from mowing in a particular direction, but I think it looks nice and, <laughs> and it looks nice on TV. Sure. Sure. It's, it's very unique. Um, so do they, do they put that down before every game? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a big undertaking. It is. Um, let's talk about, about your team. Uh, did it change a lot from last year? I know that, that you brought on a, a big name from, from your rival Sacramento, uh, Darius Formella. What other changes did you see in the squad? Uh, there are, I would, I would describe it like this. They, they did their, their utmost to keep a core of players around from last year. So 
a lot of the people you see contributing this year were on the team last year. So in defense, Emmer Clementa, Tarek Moran were both on the team. Uh, Jose Hernandez, one of the more steady central midfielders, he was on the team last year. Uh, Matias Fisore and, and Joseph Nane, the defensive mids, were part of the team last year. And then up top, some of the some of the guys you see rotating in off the bench, Chuy Enriquez, Lindo Mafeca, who is unfortunately injured right now. They brought back as many of the, the real contributors from last season as I think they thought was feasible. But they did add a lot of new players on top of that. So we signed uh, Danny Barbier in defense. He had been with uh, Sporting Kansas City 2. Alejandro Fuenmayor, who had been with the Houston Dynamo of MLS, actually brought them in to shore up the defense. Uh, we've been playing with, with wingbacks or wingers, neither of whom were on the team last year, Eduardo Rito and, and Juan Carlos Esocar. Uh, and then we have a couple of guys who are on loan from uh, Venezia in Italy, Otar Carlson and Mikhail Janssen, who also see quite a bit of the pitch. So it's it's a bit of a mix. And I think you can actually explain some of the early season results by saying like this, this was a team that still needed to gel. You know, it was still coming together in the early parts of the season because there were on from, from some angles, some pretty significant changes. Gotcha. So Carlson's just done amazing things. When did he, when did he come in? Was he there at the start of the season? Uh, I don't think he was at the, at the, the first couple of games, but he has played most of the season uh, with the team. Yeah. Gotcha. And he comes from Italy, as you mentioned. And is he still the top scorer in the league? Uh, you know, I did not check how many goals Milan Oloski scored for Orange County last night. I was <laughs> I was sort of disappointed with what was happening in front of me. Didn't want to look at the scoreboard. I know Orange County scored five yesterday, but uh, he's got he's either first or second at this point. Yes. Yeah. Pretty amazing. It just it just came out of nowhere. You know, the first person to get 10 goals and we're all like, Who's this now? Wait, and he just kept going. He's a phenomenal player. Yeah. So, of course, we have the connection in coaching staff. Our assistant coach, Juan Guerra, Phoenix, uh, had been with Phoenix for a year and some, maybe two years. And then he got the head coaching job with you guys this year. So how's he getting on? What's his coaching style? Uh He's, he's getting on. Okay. I, you know, I think he's, he's experiencing some of the growing pains you could expect from a first year head coach. Unfortunately, I don't believe he'll be on the sidelines for this next match because he picked up a red card against Las Vegas lights protesting a, a, a red card that was given to a player. Uh, but he, he has, he, it took them, it took the team a while to find their footing, to find an identity. And that, I mean, that makes plenty of sense, I think, but the team that he and and the staff at Oakland have put together is got streets ahead of the team that was on the field last year and that made the playoffs and which was just, you know, a couple of penalty kicks short of the, the, uh, the next round of the playoffs, the third round of the playoffs. So, I mean, he's done a phenomenal job there. I think, you know, there's been some growing pains. The, the performances at the beginning of the season were not uh, sometimes left something to be desired and, I'm still not positive that this club has put together a full 90 minute performance at any point this season, but they it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. It is incredibly attacking minded, which is wonderful for the, for the neutral and, and for the fans. Um, and, and it's, it is, it is really exciting to watch. I, I think he will, you know, he's, he's obviously, he's going to be learning from his mistakes this year. And um, I, it's, I'm sure he is as frustrated as many of the fans are that the performances they've put together so far are not yet 
uh, wouldn't yet qualify them for the playoffs. I, I think that the team and a lot of people around it are looking at some of the, the performances they put together and thought we are leaving points on the field. And, you know, that's, I think a, a product of a bunch of people who are still sort of on, on a, on a pretty steep learning curve, but uh, he is, if, if he continues to grow, I, I think, you know, if he's in Oakland, obviously there's been some rumblings that he might go back to Phoenix. Uh, I, I expect him to be successful wherever he is next year. Okay. So have you heard any official word or is, or is this just rumors? About That's just rumors. Potential? Okay. Yeah. Just rumors. Yeah. So I just pulled up the your last game against uh, Vegas, mm-hmm. and you guys put out a three four two one. So is that a typical lineup for you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You'll see a back three almost certainly. Um, we've been we started the season in a four two three one shape. It didn't go well, uh, and almost immediately after making the switch to a back three, the team started to perform better. Uh, the the wing backs are. The engine of the team, uh, Rito and Azucar, they get up and down the touchline. They are, I think, more, they have more of an attacking brief, but they are also very competent tracking back. Uh, and then, I mean, you've mentioned Carlson. If you don't have someone man marking him at all times, that's just coaching malpractice. And then I think what I would call the inside forwards, I mean, when when they're clicking with the with the wingbacks, this is an offense that is really sort of breathtaking to watch. Fantastic. So we're kind of moving into a preview of the next game. And last night in, in that game against Vegas, you guys picked up not just that one red card on the, the sideline. And I love it when coaches get involved and get passionate, but your goalie also got a red card. Tell us about that. Uh, that was a, that was a last man foul. And, you know, Paul Blanchett is someone who was part of the team last year and, and the fans here absolutely love him because he has incredible shot stopping abilities, but there are some, there are some shortcomings to his game. And I think one-on-one situations is one of them. And uh, Cal Jennings of the lights had gotten, had found some space between two of the center backs and had gotten out in front of them and, I'm not entirely sure what Blanchett was thinking when, when he saw that he, but he came out, met Jennings about five yards outside of the box and just knocked him over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could see it coming from a mile away. You knew exactly what was going to happen. He w- is insisted that he got the ball. I don't know that I necessarily buy it. Like it seemed like a pretty clear cut last man foul. Uh, fortunately we do have, we, we do have a lot of faith in our backup keeper who was also with the team last year. We had briefly sent him on loan to USL one squad, but he's back and, you know, he doesn't quite have the shot stopping ability of Paul Blanchett, but he is it. it, I don't expect Oakland to radically change their game plan to account for the fact that Blanchett will not be in goal on Wednesday. Gotcha. I saw that Benny Diaz was in goal for you. He put in uh, 13 starts with you. So is he still with you? Uh, No. So we had, we had gotten him on loan from uh, a Liga MX squad and he was recalled for the beginning of that season. Um, he, you know, I, I mentioned that Blanchett is a wonderful shot stopper, but might have some shortcomings. And I, I think part of the reason that was part of the reason they went out and got Benny Diaz, who is not, he, he didn't stand out from a shot stopping perspective, but he could, he could distribute the ball. You know, his, his distribution abilities were, were, 
pretty good for this level. Um, but he was recalled. And I think he is the backup keeper for um, Tijuana now. Okay. Okay. So in terms of your squad, do you have anybody on the injury list that um, that is a significant contributor to the team? And the reason I ask is because on, on our side, we've, we've had two injuries that, that have been prolonged. Um, Arturo Rodriguez, who plays in the midfield, he's our number 10, our creator. Um, he's, he's been out, we're thinking, with a foot injury. We haven't seen him in the field since May. And then one of our center backs had an issue and we haven't seen him all season. So how about you guys? Do you have any injuries? We don't have any injuries to people you would uh, necessarily always see in the starting 11, but there are a couple that are worth uh, mentioning. I think uh, we have an attacking mid slash forward, Lindo Mafeka, who was one of the first guys off the bench in most games who suffered an ankle injury. And, and that appears to be a long-term thing. And I don't expect that he will be on the team sheet against Phoenix. A few weeks ago, Joseph Nane, one of our defensive mids, came off the field with what looked like a soft tissue injury of some kind. And I believe he was listed, listed as questionable before the last game. So he might be close. We will see. Um, there are other defensive mids we are comfortable playing, uh, you know, so he was basically rotating through that, that spot anyway. And it might not matter since Oakland has a two and a half week break after this Phoenix match. So they might not rush him back for this, but those are the, I think the most notable ones. Gotcha. So who's your team captain? It's Emra Clementa, who is a Bay Area uh, native. He played internationally for Montenegro a couple of times, I believe, but he's uh, he, he bleeds Oakland. You know, I think he actually played for Sacramento at one point, but he is uh, he is he is ours. And he is he's one of the center backs and a very vocal guy. And I, I think the fan base absolutely loves him. Okay, so you, you mentioned when you're talking about your striker, Carlson, that we absolutely need to man-mark him. Yes. You got Darius Formella on the left side, and he's he played with, with uh, Sacramento, and, and I just remember him in, in previous seasons. When he'd go in for a tackle, if he lost, it just he just became possessed. And he wasn't going to stop until yeah. he tracked down that ball and got it, got it back. He's, he's just such a fighter. I was really surprised that Sacramento let him go at the end of the season and uh, wasn't surprised at all to see that another team picked him up pretty quickly. So he's obviously another player. Um, and as I mentioned, he's likely playing on the, on the left side. Are there other players on your team that we should be watching out for? I think that the two players who are most important to Oakland's success are Eduardo Rito, the right wing back, and Mikael Janssen, who plays really all over the place. I, I think he comes to us as an attacking midfielder from Italy, but he's played in central midfield. He's played a semi-defensive role. He's played as an inside forward. I mean, he is a, an excellent footballing talent, so you can really plug him in anywhere. Uh, Rito is... I mean, he's got a combination of pace and power that is, it's got to be among the best in the league. He makes other uh, fullbacks, other wingers look silly trying to deal with him. And Oakland has found a lot of joy through, you know, on, on that right-hand side because of Rito's movement. And 
we saw in the last game, we saw Janssen and Rito on the same side. We could see that. We could see Janssen, uh, you know, in place of Formella on the left. Uh, but those two, I think, are really the engine. And then the most sort of defend, excuse me, dependable player on the Ruth squad is Jose Hernandez, who is he he played kind of a kind of a deep lying playmaker role last year, which was necessary because last year's squad didn't have a whole lot of playmakers. This year's squad has a lot more, and he became kind of a kind of a glue guy, kind of the guy who kept the tempo up in many games. I think um, if I could if I could come up with a, a comparable to the sort of game he was playing at the beginning of the season, it would be Genie Wijnaldum when he played for Liverpool. It wasn't, you know, the attacking guy. He's not playing a strictly defensive role, but he is sort of the reason the whole team stays connected. He started to... I think add a little bit more of an attacking play to his game in the last few weeks. And he's been either the best or among the best players on the field for uh, probably the last month and a half. Okay. You've given us a, a lot to look out for on the other side. Are, have you have uh, maybe other teams called you out on a weakness? Do you have a weakness anywhere in the field? Oh man. Uh, our, our back line has a tendency to just lose people. It's, it's, it's baffling. Um, they do everything you want a defender to do, and then they'll lose a guy in the box. You know, we have a, well, it's gotta be one of the worst records on set pieces in the division. Um, in fact, both of Las Vegas's goals, they weren't on set pieces necessarily, but similar errors, just losing a guy at the back post. They had a couple of basically free headers. It's, maddening to watch you know this this team has a lot of firepower and like a, a plus two goal differential because the defense is prone to just catastrophic errors and it's you know if if this team doesn't make the playoffs it's going to be because they threw away two points in a game in a situation where uh you know they they lost somebody on a set piece or uh they they just there was a defensive breakdown uh, you know, I, a couple of weekends ago, we went up to Sacramento, Oakland did, it was three, three Sacramento's last goal was a sort of a brilliant, desperate counterattack in the 95th minute. But the first two goals were the result of sort of mind boggling defensive errors. And it's been the Achilles heel of this team, uh, for most of the season. Okay. Gotcha. Well, what would you like to know about Phoenix? All right. Well, how do you see this game going? What, what would be your prediction for what we see on the pitch on Wednesday? My prediction is usually a 4-0. Okay. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not ready to deviate from that. How about you? Uh, I think, you know, Oakland does not tend to put two bad performances together in a row. So I'm expecting a much better performance than we saw at the weekend against Light. So I think Three to two to Oakland. It's going to be great. Whatever the yes. result, it's going to be a great night. I'm really looking forward to it. Aaron, from the Roots Pod, I really want to thank you for your time and wish you every success for the remainder of the season. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Aaron. Hey, this is Ray Samora for the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. 
Phoenix Rising family, we reviewed our last two games. We heard from John Morrissey about what's going on around the league. Huge thanks to him for coming on the show week after week. And we previewed our two midweek games, Phoenix versus Oakland Roots on July 27th and Sac Republic FC versus Sporting Kansas City also on July 27th. Thank you, Aaron Lawson and Kelly McCarthy for helping out with those. What's left? For Manny, the highlight of the week, a home game against Colorado Spring Switchbacks. So let's talk about that. The Switchbacks are in third place in the West, a top team with 40 points from 21 games. They started the season really well, only losing two of their first 13 games. But since then, they've slipped, winning only two of their last eight. Head to head, Phoenix won five times. Switchbacks won three times and there was one draw. Can Phoenix take advantage of a team that are struggling? Well, with Phoenix coming off two consecutive draws, the only answer is yes, we can. Si se puede. We'll have to watch out for their goal scorers. Haji Barry, Golden Boot winner from last year, he's got 12 goals so far this season. Elvis Amo, he's got 10. And Michi Angelina, he's got 8. Colorado Springs switchbacks typically play a 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1, but as they've been struggling, they've changed things up for their last two games. 5-4-1 against San Diego and a 3-4-3 against Charleston Battery. I'm all in for two wins in Week 21. Three points away against Oakland and three points at home against Colorado. We can do it. You know we can. Let's round it out with a Go Rising. I'll count us in. Three, two, one. Go Rising! Go Rising!